In this episode, Ryan and I discuss your money and why the infinite banking concept matters. We had fun. Hope you enjoy it. Thank you for listening. Welcome to the Banking with Life podcast. I'm your host, James Nethery. And I'm your co-host, Ryan Griggs. Shout out to Gary Sun there. <laughs> yes, <laughs> co-host. Thanks for watching, Gary. We love you. All right. <laughs> okay, so... What are we talking about today, James? Well, you know, there's... Uh, we can... We can talk about an awful lot, but I think we're going to get around to maybe start from the basis of um, why is the infinite banking, why does the infinite banking concept matter? Why mm-hmm. does becoming your own banker matter? And I think that we talk a lot of a lot about this in almost every episode mm-hmm. because it does matter. But then we talk a awful lot about a lot of different things in our episodes. Um, yeah. And sometimes we can get pretty deep going into the elements of a dividend-paying whole life policy or the specifics of what Nelson wrote about in Becoming Your Own Banker. And so it occurred to me as I was watching one of our episodes that has just come out recently. You watch that? Um, yeah, you know, when you're bored and you got nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> Are you entertained when you watch that? You know, I'm entertained by me. I I can't help but believe that other people must be too. Uh, I'm I choose to believe that. <laughs> I, I laugh an awful lot when I listen. I don't listen a lot to podcast episodes that we um, have released and done, but when I do, I that laugh. I have good. fun listening. Yeah. But so I was watching it, and you know, kind of, I'm I'm very self critical. So it's you know listening, listening, and then by sure. the time you get halfway, three quarters of the way through, it's like, hey man, this is good stuff right here. But it occurred to me that we kind of assume in most of these episodes that what we're talking about is important. And I think, and for a lot of people it is, and I think the people who do watch us are already convinced of that. And we, we spoke about this over the phone recently, that I think a lot of people who are, you know, like people ask, what do you do? It's like, well, I don't even like the question anymore, right? It's like, <laughs> well, what non, do you do? Non-traditional finance. What do you do, Mr. Griggs? Like, okay, well, what's non-traditional mean? <laughs> yeah. Uh, everything you might normally associate with a typical financial person, I don't do. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you do? Yeah. <laughs> Something called the infinite banking concept. And then, you know, eyes glaze over and we're done there, right? That's yeah. the extent of my elevator pitch, right? Uh, so that's an admission that you have one. I appreciate your honesty. <laughs> <laughs> that's my confession. Yeah. So we get that far, then I'm really done, right? I'm, I'm yeah. just not interested. It's not my... I, I prefer the people who have already come across it, who have done some investigation, who want to know, and who are reaching out to find answers to questions that haven't been answered yet. Mm-hmm. So we just, we kind of leave it there. Um, but that's just to go to show that most people don't know about the infinite banking concept. And so the people who are watching us, who, uh, the, the, the agents and the, some of the, <laughs> some of the general of, public. A lot but, of agents, yeah. subscribers, and we appreciate you. But the people who watch already know something about the infinite banking concept, which tells you that they've already thought about the idea of managing their money, the idea of having some sort of financial strategy, of doing something, right? Or maybe what they're doing is not working, so they need to do something else. The the question's on their mind, right? Right. And I think it's easy to skip over, well, why exactly does it matter? Why should we want a a financial strategy or a capitalization strategy or an investment strategy, right? What What is the purpose behind all of this? Well, it uh, sounds, look, I'm excited to, it sounds like we've landed on a topic, but, <laughs> <laughs> excuse me. Don't, let's don't sound jump, that way. <laughs> let's don't jump over the fact that you said a minute ago, you know, you get about three quarters of the way into and being self-critical, and I, I completely relate to that. Very difficult for me to watch or listen to myself. I mean, I, mm-hmm. so I relate to that, but I don't want to have to read a 600-page book and wait till the 100 and, you know, I've got, 450 pages into it, mm-hmm. you know, before it gets exciting. Okay. So, and I'm saying that <laughs> to say that, uh, I, I do appreciate the comments, but, um, some of the feedback that I've gotten, it's like, y'all could speed it up a little bit or y'all are beating around the bush of someone. Yeah. Someone said that recently. We beat around the bush. Listen, yeah. we go at the speed <laughs> we believe is necessary. Okay. <laughs> and just because I talk slow doesn't mean I am slow. Yeah. I'm just saying I'm just from the South. Okay. But to, okay. So to get it to really get into this, like I, I'm some a few years younger than you, but have seen have have lived through a few 
uh, deaths in the family. I had a great aunt, uh, a couple grandparents, uh, a great grandmother, uh, grand, uh, my grandfather. So it's, I've kind of maybe been closer to it than most people. And so you see a lot of things, or at least I have, and I think some, either you have or you haven't. If you haven't, you will. You see a lot of things at, at end of life, you know, decades beyond where we, we might be thinking, uh, you know, and you discover that, well, that need for capital sure does rear its head at those unexpected or unthought of times, right? So we were speaking earlier about um, my uh, great aunt had to go through this. You know, she had saved throughout her lifetime, but just really accumulated some cash at home. Um, so had some assets, but not enough to fund, say, a private nursing facility at however many hundreds of dollars per day it was. Right? So she had some money, but not enough. And so she was caught in the position that a lot of people are at that older advanced age where they have to then do what's called selling down their assets. And the reason you have to sell down assets is because government programs like Medicaid have certain restrictions on how much money you can make, how much money you own, or how, how many the dollar value of the assets you own. And so in order to qualify, in order to get, say, the uh, state funding for a state nursing facility or state funding for a facility that accepts state funding, you've got to sell down these assets in mm -hmm. order to get under those thresholds. Mm -hmm. And it's really quite devastating. <clears throat> uh, believe it or not, the state-run uh, uh, facilities and the organizations that accept the state money are not as of high quality as the other places that you could be, like at home, like with family, or like at a private facility, right? So it's not pleasant, right? And we don't, nobody likes to think about that. And this, I'm not saying that this is the one reason to do infinite banking. I'm saying it's just one instance well, you're just, of the need for capital. You're just pointing out a particular time in somebody's life where a need for capital is you know, egregious. So it's called yeah. the Medicaid spin down. There's a couple of things going on there too. And we can, you know, probably have several podcasts just on, you know, long-term care. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, and, and so the, like Medicare, all right. Over age 65 healthcare is an age based trigger. You know, I turned 65, I'm going on Medicare. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, where Medicaid, benefits are an asset-based, income and asset-based trigger. So people, if we work hard, save money, and we accumulate some money, um, there's an asset test, right? If we have to go into the long-term care facility or have long-term care at home or however that care is given, then it's an asset test, right? So if we've done a fair job of accumulating assets over our lifetime, you're just pointing out the, the, that's just one point in time in our life cycle that there is a ferocious need for capital. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I completely agree with that. That, But that's only one point in time in our lifetime. There's, I can't remember, and I'm 56. Yeah, I'm much older than you, right? <laughs> um, I wasn't going to say much, but. <laughs> no, it's okay. Uh, um, I can't remember very many years in my lifetime that there wasn't a ferocious need for capital, whatever the cause was. You know, just when you're younger, it may not be for long-term care. I might need a car or a wedding or whatever. And mm -hmm. I have children and, and I need education and dental and health and cars and weddings again, you know. So my point being, there's the all-American family, the all-American entrepreneur, the business person. There's always a ferocious need for your capital. Absolutely. So, that's the point I wanted to yeah. draw out. I mean, if you have a need for purchasing power, if you have a need to impose your will on the physical world, right? So especially if you're an entrepreneur, especially if you if a lot of cash flow flows through your hands, you know, the need for capital is ever greater. Mm -hmm. um, and too, you mentioned earlier in in your kind of opening remarks that uh, you know we the 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 audience that we have or the listeners that 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 listen regularly. I mean, we're talking about the infinite banking concept as discovered and created by R. Nelson Nash, right? And using life insurance structured for high cash value. There's no magic, nothing mystical going on there. Um, 
But generally, in our episodes, we are very particular. I mean, we're talking to a very or very small group. Mm-hmm. You know, whether they've been you've been exposed to the infinite banking concept, um, you're probably not going to listen to us unless you just accidentally stumble upon this podcast. Right. Right. So the the subscriber base that's growing. Thank you. Be sure and like and share with your friends. Um, We're trying to get better about telling people to like and share because there's no <laughs> money behind any advertising or anything like no. that. So it's, no, no. You know, we have to make sure to remember to say <laughs> like and share. <laughs> but we're, we're speaking very to a very small select really footprint in the financial world, you know, with this infinite banking concept footprint. Mm-hmm. So most people that listen have been exposed to the infinite banking concept in that means most people uh, and all of the people that are not listening, they have no idea that you can become your own banker. So we're very specific and sometimes technical when it mm. comes to the infinite banking concept, structure, capital, even technical in the economics from um, from your <laughs> academician standpoint, right? You can split hairs on economics. I mm-hmm. love it. Um, but then it's, true very fundamental at the same time even though we may be entertaining we may talk about things that are very relevant uh, relevant <laughs> relevant you know if you're practicing the infinite banking concept um but fundamentally we're, we're talking about capital formation capital accumulation and the fact that you can control the banking function in your life so what i'm saying is that we're pretty technical sometimes but we're also very fundamental Mm -hmm. i mean it's nothing that we talk about is complicated so yeah i agree and i think we've seen we've had a lot of engagement recently you've mentioned capital formation it's a subject of my dissertation and uh you know the question has arise you know can because we touched on i think it was in episode 24 and uh we, we mentioned is that the, the one you listened to? <laughs> <laughs> In fact, I think, yeah, that was the one that I had that epiphany of, well, we know we don't cover much about why somebody would want to care so much about their financial situation. But yes, it was that one. And the subject of that episode was the question of premium equaling or exceeding income, because Nelson has a point in there. And I, we had some engagement, and I think there was some confusion about what we meant when we say that you, you, you can get to a point where your premium exceeds your income. Right. And you made the point that you had a conversation with Nelson, and Nelson suggested, well, you know, that dividend that gets paid from these mutual insurance companies to the owners of dividend paying whole life. Well, does that di- what happens to that dividend? Well, it yeah. goes right back into the policy through paid up additional premium. Okay, so the, the dividend by default in these whole life policies is going to become premium payment. Okay, well, if you've been practicing the infinite banking concept for, let's say, you know, 30, 40 years, you, you've been at it for some time, right? You've paid out-of-pocket premium throughout your working life, through your income-generating life, and then you reach a, a point in time where you maybe you reduce your working hours, right? Maybe you're not fully retired, but you work less, travel more, who knows? Your income goes down for whatever reason, right? Well, if you've got 40 years worth of properly structured dividend paying whole life policies at mutual life insurance companies that pay their dividend, right? So you may, you've got substantial dividend payments and you've reduced your income. Well, if those dividends are still going back into the policy in the form of premium payment, then it very well could be the case that your cumulative total premium payment in a given year exceeds your income in that year. Yeah, right. No question. Now I'm going to have to go back and listen to that. Twenty four, did you say? Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> but we had there were some comment threads about that, and it's it's because it can sound confusing. Well, how could my how can what I save be more than what I make? Like in some it, like if you define saving as withheld income, right? literally just the, what's left over of income after you've done whatever spending you're going to do, whatever consuming you're going to do, well, then it, it, it seems like it could never be the case that what you, how much you save, how much you accumulate in capital being greater than your, pre, it seemed, greater than your income, it seems impossible. Right, right. But in that, this, so many things are, are so different. I think a big reason people have questions like that or they're thinking in those terms is an indication that that paradigm shift hasn't been made yet. 
right? We haven't, we haven't pulled ourselves fully out of the conventional mindset. Uh, in, in the financial world. Conventional mindset. Right. Yeah, that was created and developed, nourished, and grown through a constructed, uh, just a construct. Yeah. You know, I mean, we get to this. Okay. I mean, we get to this idea, you know, the conventional financial wisdom and our conventional financial thinking. Um, unlearning is as important and oftentimes more important than learning. In my opinion, absolutely. So, this idea of becoming your own banker, which is fundamental to the infinite banking concept, Nelson pointing out the fact, him discovering, right, that he could become his own banker and fulfill that banking function in his own life. And it was right before his eyes. He had been a life insurance agent since 1964, and he discovers this in 1980, writes his first book, and becoming your own banker in 2000. I'm just going back to 1980. There he was. He just, he, he seen clearly. Um, and he, he describes it as the, uh, the equivalent of a two by four, you know, right between the eyes that everything he needed was right in front of him. And he, he could become his own banker with life insurance. I mean, it's really that simple. And then, and, and I think I remember that, uh, podcast 22, right. That you even pulled out, becoming your own mm. banker book and read verbatim where he talked about income equaling premium. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So premium being a hundred percent of income. Yeah. yeah. And, and so your point to wrap that up at that time was, look, that's not where, that's where you might get to, you know, that's what mm-hmm. you'll get there if you practice this for mm-hmm. this long, but you're not going to start there. Right. And it's the biggest question. It's the biggest question for people who want to get into infinite banking. And it always comes up is the discussion of how how to think about premium. How should I select how much premium to pay? Mm -hmm. Right. And so we we threw out some ways of thinking about that. You know, can you have too much capital? Well, no, I can't. I mean, can you? Probably not. You can have can you have too much purchasing power, too much ability to transform the world the way that you might like to see it? Well, no. Okay. So if you can't have too much, well, then what's holding us back? What's limiting us? Right? Well, frankly, we are, our income, our imperfect ability to generate income and provide value, that's really what's limiting us. Everybody's income is too low. Right? Okay. Well, given that you have some income and maybe you're working on it, and I'm sure you all are, we are, you can't change it overnight, but given a certain level of income, maybe this year, over the next five years, right? Whatever you might reasonably expect it to be, given that income, well, how much of that can we use? To then go and pay a premium, right? oh, more limits. So you see how we're get, we're get, went from infinite to okay, we've got our income to deal with. Well, now there's other uh, complications, right? The the life insurance company they they want to issue policies where they're confident that the premium is going to get paid, right. so that they can have some level of confidence in their future cash flows. They got death benefits, dividends, and cash values to stand behind out going on to the future. So they want to be relatively sure that you're going to pay the premium. Uh, not to mention the regulations. You know, life insurance is one of the most heavily regulated industries. Why? Finance in, in general. North America. My gosh. I mean, so suitability and, you know, is extremely important to the life insurance companies. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one way that they check to see if you're suitable for the policy that you're applying for is to compare the premium you want to pay to your, maybe your gross income, your after-tax income, whatever the particular company wants to look at. They're going to look at your proposed premium in comparison to your income. And some different companies will have different limits at how much they can accept. You mean or, they have limits? You mean if I wanted to, if I earn $100,000 a year, I can't start paying $100,000 no. in premium because it might not pass suitability or underwriting? Um, That's exactly right. Wow. Yeah. What a concept. Right. So look, I mean, I tell people that if they're uh, in their 20s, maybe they've they've been working in their chosen field for five years or less. Look, if you can pay a quarter of that premium, uh, I'm sorry, if you can pay a quarter of your income in premium, Mm -hmm. I mean, you're doing great. You know, on the other side, look, I say greater than zero. You know, if, if long as you're building some capital the right way, as long as you get started, you know, that's the direction you want to go. Obviously, more is better, you know. So <laughs> as high as you can get and as much as the company will allow. 
right? <laughs> but you see how we, we, we narrow the field down to, and that's the process that one should go through once you've laid all of the educational foundation, you're conceptually on board with the concept. That's the kind of discussion that you go through to get to what your premium on your, say your first policy will be, mm -hmm. right? And then there's all sorts of applications that can go, like you know, we've talked about laddering or stacking policies in the past and how that's inadvisable for certain reasons. All of this is related together. But as far as premium, as it relates to income, yes, it's possible ultimately to end up in a position where premium exceeds income, but you're not going to start there immediately. You shouldn't start there immediately, right? The companies won't even allow it. Yeah, I think that's a worthy goal, you know, to have the um, premium exceed the income. And and I don't want to you know re re you know just analyze the twenty second podcast. Yeah, yeah. But um, most people don't save money. That's just mm. fundamentally right. <clears throat> most people don't have the discipline. And God love you. I'm not picking on anyone. I'm just saying the average all American doesn't save. They don't. They have not developed the discipline to save. Um, and it's okay to. You know, start there with the discipline of saving and having form and and a path and a, and a goal, a strategy, a mechanism to save, mm -hmm. right? And I understand the investors may not like the word save. It's antiquated. Um, you call it what you will, you know, not consuming or consuming less than what you earn. Um, if you if you have the discipline to do that and you have any success whatsoever, then where should that savings reside? Mm -hmm. Right. So discipline is vitally important. And and if what you say and I agree with that, if you could save 25 percent of your income, that's a worthy place to start if you have the discipline to do that. Well, if you can save fifty percent of your income, that's even better. Yeah. Or seventy-five percent. I don't remember the guy's name, uh, uh, but I'd heard about this gentleman. He, I think he was in East Texas. He was a miner, or he he manufactured mining equipment. You know these big, huge trucks that mm. a six-foot man standing next to this truck wouldn't even come up to the hub of a wheel. Massive. Um, and I think I heard it through Jim Rohn. But he was talking about this gentleman, and, and the gentleman gave away 90% of his income. He only lived on 10% of his income. So if you had the ability, my point, if you had the ability to save 90%, that's better than 50, mm -hmm. which is better than 25, right. which is better than 10. But can we just get started developing the discipline to save anything? Yeah. Right? Can we just start there and grow? Mm -hmm. Right? Well, and I think to be <coughs> fair to the people who – because it's easy to, from a – the financial perspective or an economic perspective to look at like the personal savings rate in the U S and be like, Oh, Americans don't save very much. You know, that, that number is probably in the single digits and it probably is, you know, to, to be fair to them. I think we've lived in such a, in a low interest rate environment where savers have been kicked in the teeth so hard by, oh my gosh. by price inflation. Uh, and then on, on the other, so we've got all these negative consequences to, headwinds. that, that, that incentivize the use of debt, financial headwinds, as Nelson put it, and becoming your own banker. Mm -hmm. But on the other side, and I think people who, like us who do infinite banking, have so much to offer here, is we don't offer the positive vision for why somebody should save, right? Why, and, and there's, so, there's so much confusion about what saving even means. You know, is savings withheld income? Or is it uh, capital uh, formation? What's the difference? Is there a difference? Does it matter? Right? There's, there's so many conceptual questions that the financial community and the, edu the, ec the economists who stand behind them have not worked out yet or at least disagree on. And so there, there's no wonder there's all this confusion, right? So we, we, don't, we don't have this, the right set vocabulary. We don't agree on the, on the definition of the terms we use. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then on top of it, so how could we ever form you know, a, a particular positive vision for why somebody would want to... Uh, withhold some of their income or pay a premium or build cash value in life insurance, you know, and, and what could be the need for that? That's why I tell the story about my great aunt who had to do the asset sell off to, to minimize her uh, net worth in order to be able to qualify for Medicaid. Yep. You know, one particular instance of where there was a tremendous underestimated need for capital. Right? And you're exactly right. All the other purchases that someone's going to uh, make throughout the course of their lifetime, every one of those is just another instance of a need for capital. I remember a comment that someone left on one of the uh, 
episode so far, he was asking uh, that whether we have done a, a, a heads up comparison, I think he called it, or a comparison of not for someone who is in debt using IBC to get out of debt, but for someone who is debt free. Right, the person who doesn't have oh, student yeah. loans, doesn't have yeah. uh, business loans, doesn't have the, a mortgage or any kind of consumer credit. You know, what's IBC look like for them? Mm-hmm. Right, and it's kind of like, well, it, the same principles apply to both. You know, the 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 person who's in debt to the conventional third parties has the same sorts of need for capital that the person who's out of debt does. Right, they've just chosen to use somebody else's capital, whereas the person who doesn't have outstanding third-party debt has chosen to use their own capital. Right, you've you've liquidated your own the, the savings that you've accumulated, mm-hmm. right? Rather than capitalizing, rather than applying those funds to an asset under your control that will grow for the rest of your life, so that you can meet all of the various needs for capital that you will have. Like people who say who are out of debt, well, like. And they're probably thinking, well, I, I don't have a mortgage payment. I don't have a car payment. You know, I don't. I don't go out that often, and I don't have a business. I don't uh, you know, need to finance anything. I don't. I don't need to finance anything. I pay cash anything. for everything. I pay yeah. cash for everything. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, you're, you're going to finance something. You know, you're going to pay for somebody's school. You're going to pay for somebody's house. You know, you're going to pay for things for yourself later in life. You know, the the need for finance is tremendous, and tucking your head down and living miserly and saying that my income will be lower, I'll be in a lower tax bracket, I won't need that much to live on in the future. I mean, that, all that is is planning to be poor. Yeah, but, yeah, and, and I, I agree with that, but you take that that individual or that thought process, and, and I think that's where the challenge is, is between our ears and our thinking. Um, they, they accumulate, they invest, they save, whatever. They're going to liquidate that throughout their retirement, quote-unquote. Mm-hmm. Right, and their passive income time, they're liquidating assets, right? <clears throat> and if they do a really good job, they'll have something left over for the next generation. But um, maybe, huh? If it's a yeah, side maybe. afterthought, okay. Maybe, and yeah. then the whole process starts all over again. You know, you're talking about your great grandmother, your grandmother that went through the Medicaid spend down. My great aunt. Your great aunt. Okay, yep. your great aunt. That's three generations, mm-hmm. right? So the process starts all over in this in this paradigm of conventional financial thinking. Right. One more generation, one more generation. And we wonder why, you know, the growth of the state and all the various government programs, you know, which are intergenerational, right? They've, Social Security has gone through four or five, six generations of American families now, mm-hmm. right? So the state and its programs have, have stayed alive and all, all sorts of new things are also new welfare programs, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and meanwhile, the, the financial autonomy at the individual or family level has diminished, oh, yeah. right? We wonder, you know, the, we wonder why there's this general sense of entitlement or dependence, you know, it's, I wonder how many of the people who are tough on the welfare recipients, right? You know, they get out of the welfare line, that kind of thing. Yeah. How many of those people are also planning to leave a substantial inheritance to their offspring? Mm-hmm. Or how many of those people are the ones who say, well, I made it, so I'm going to use it? Yeah. It's like, okay, <laughs> yeah, all right. So the, the, just so you know, I mean, the next generation is going to, will be left without that well, initial, they've the got to build it that, themselves just like I did. It builds character. Okay, here's the, <laughs> here, and, and I agree, right? Okay, yes, it does. You're out there struggling. The, the problem with people who start from money is not that they started from money. It's that they're not pushed hard enough to use the money to even greater effect, right, than they could have when they started, mm-hmm. right? The issue is not, Oh, he you know he got a silver spoon in his mouth. It, the issue is that he didn't make use the silver to go make a business. You know that's a parenting problem. It's not the it's not a problem of you started off with too much. No, it's that whatever that initial threshold of financial well being is is what it is. Right. The the point is to go beyond that over the course of one's lifetime to develop skills and integrate into the division of labor and specialize and be able to leverage all of that previously accumulated capital, right? If you're fortunate enough to have it, leverage that to go out and create even more benefit, more value, right? So all of this can scale up and up and up onto the next generation, the one after that, the one after that. But we don't think in those terms, 
We don't think in those. And so you get a lot of people who I think would conventionally be thought of as, you know, good money managers, right? They don't spend a lot. They're thrifty. They're frugal. They don't have a lot of outstanding conventional third-party debt, right? Those, more often than not, those are the same people who are hesitant about leaving a financial legacy to the next generation. And it's that very hesitancy that's causing or at least contributing to the problem of magnify of blow it of more and more dependency right mm-hmm. of, and like nelson says those who have the gold make the rules so if you're now no longer it's one thing to be dependent upon the family for financial what whatever it might be for funding for education or the business right mm-hmm. you don't want to be dependent upon the family well it's a lot better than being dependent upon the government right mm-hmm. you were mentioning a mm-hmm. client that uh, is going through the SBA, the Small Business Association, mm-hmm. getting funding from them uh, yeah. in order to manage his affairs, and how how what a pain in the ass that is to do it. And it's but that's exactly what you get. That they, they're the ones with the gold. They make the rules. Actually, there's a couple, and the conversation, you know, gets to the point of why does IBC matter in cases like that? It's almost like, and Nelson used to say this idea this concept is caught more than taught yeah all right and the uh individual that has whether they've gone through or going through in that example the sba loans um or maybe in their past they've you know had um you know less than ideal relationships with bankers Mm-hmm. Right, where they things happen outside of the business owner's control or the family's control, and you know assets start swapping hands. You know, you go through that a couple of times, and and then the idea, this idea that you can become your own banker, is it completely resonates with you? Mm-hmm. You know, um, and, and so you bringing up the that particular client. I mean, we had the conversation. Several, a couple of conversations, you know, right in the middle of the SBA loan and, and a great businessman and, and doing a lot of good for the world and the particular business that they're in and, and the family owned business and the employees and all of the good that comes from a, a legitimate, properly run business providing a valued service, right? And somebody else is telling them how to do it, when to do it, why to do it, and, and then throwing up both all the roadblocks you know they're the gate gatekeepers and the toll takers and to having access to that capital that and i'm telling you what it it will it will rub salt in the wound um you know there's only so much of that you're willing to go through if you're a successful business person it, it'll eventually get you to the point where you know, I'm going to absolutely do something different and I'm, I'm okay to swim upstream and I'm okay to, to go against the conventional financial wisdom. Um, or it's like, you know what? It's just not worth it. I can retire and I can quit now and, mm-hmm. and go on down the road. Um, and if they don't do something, and, and before I move on, this particular, uh, both both of them, there's two, you know, we're going through this new clients, SBA loans, business expansion, legitimate businesses. Um, you know, if they don't do something different, then the next generation is going to be in the same boat, you know? And, and, and so you can cherry pick any point in time of your life and look at, oh, I'm going to need capital for this because I'm at this age or I'm, I'm doing this or I'm doing that. And it's the circumstances are different. The need is the same access to capital and performing that banking function is so fundamental in all of these iterations of, you know, how do I get out of debt, whether I don't have any debt, I don't finance anything, or why should I put money into life insurance, I don't finance anything, or, you know, I'm putting money in the stock market and I can get a greater rate of return, I'm putting money in tax deferred accounts, whatever they may be. It's like, it's just another variation of, you know, this is better compared to life insurance because it's life insurance, right? And that reminds me too, as I'm talking through this, these a lot of real estate clients, a lot of real estate investors and the 1031, the 1031, the 1031 exchange, right? 
and it and I've asked them many times, and I know that there a lot of y'all do that. God bless you. That's a method of avoiding taxes or postponing or deferring the taxes. And the way I like to say it is piling it up on the next generation. You know, we're going to hope that the tax laws don't change, hope that we're in a lower tax bracket, hope that our prodigy is in a lower tax bracket. I mean, it looks great on paper. And and, and you specifically speaking about these different iterations and variations of how you can apply and use the infinite banking concept. Um, man, if I have to look at a whiteboard and it's full of numbers or third-party software <laughs> and there's five pages of numbers, I mean, almost to the point I'm at today <clears throat> that it, it almost gives me a headache just looking at that stuff. I don't want to know how you got to the $1 million tax-free Roth IRA account because in all of that equation, right, and, and if something doesn't go right in mm. any part of that equation, the outcome is not correct you know and so and if i continue on i see that the noise all of this is financial noise to me this is all noise it's every bit of it is noise and the noise is creeping has crept in Mm. to the infinite banking footprint oh yeah you know so um yeah, where it's getting louder and louder you know you say that that becoming your own banker is so fundamental i mean it's crazy to connect in your mind what we see in today's world with with the idea of whether or not we have control over the banking function you know so many of the online marketeer people we talk about how thing how certain philosophies are invading the infinite banking footprint well it happens in austrian economics and libertarianism too oh my gosh so this this huckster style of sales you know buy the mattress buy the socks buy the uh, bitcoin ira and all this you know go go to my favorite cubans can't make a good cigar right (laughs) my favorite thing nowadays the you know the the term life insurance online quote generators right that uh, that we're all pushing and it's funny as you watch the different podcasts and you you slowly see how the same uh, the same marketers the same companies begin are referenced or talked about at, at the different podcasts over time right so there's another one I think is a particular kind of suitcase you know I'll hear it on one show and then a few weeks will go by oh I'll finally hear it on another show and you know it's like oh they must have finally swapped the contact number for the PR person uh. at the company that's wanting to push the certain product so I just that I, same I, style of the, it's an invasion of a certain kind of hucksterish marketing philosophy. And then you're going to stalk me if I give you any information. Yeah. I mean, no, so no much. More. So my point is the people who happen to be <laughs> on those podcasts, um, I think they're one of what they pitch a lot, a lot is, you know, how to 10 X your income or how to, you know, make $2,567 over the weekend while sitting on your couch and, you know, the, passive income. A lot of, I'm going to be on the beach. Yeah, the real estate coaches, experts, gurus, and the seminars and all of this. We, we've talked about HELOCs in the past and you know, all of these machinations and different programs and things. All they're trying to do really is either increase your income, right? Because you're getting eaten alive by inflation, right? We have a ruined money supply. Because we're getting back, to, you see where we're getting back to capital here. Oh, yeah. Right? To either increase your income or really what it is most often is to show you how to access certain capital, right? I think they, that's why all the, the, look, the magic of real estate is just that there are banking institutions that happen to lend a lot of money for the purchase of real estate. So if you who have just, you know, some credit card limits, you don't really know what to do, but the guy who's coaching knows the vice president at some bank. So, you know, he's got the script. He's going to give you the language so you can talk to the banker to get access to money. That's all he's selling, right? He's, it's just another way to sell access to capital. And it only exists because we as individual people don't have our own access to capital that we own and control. That's that it's why the whole. And so I think it just the, the less and less individuals have control over their own capital, the more and more you see these other methods of either accessing someone else's capital or sales pitches for miraculous income spikes, the more and more you see that. 
right? Because we've got to look, if we're undercapitalized, then our need for capital is more and more urgent. That's intensified. Well, if we have an intense need for capital, then of course you're going to have the, the huckster people out there who are going to have solutions for your problem. Right? And it's going to come in the form of some sort of high, allegedly higher income or some you know, special access to capital that you didn't know about before. And of course, you got to pay for right? sure. all of which could be solved <laughs> if all we did was just go do what we do. In it, I, I've said this before, integrating the division of labor. Just go follow your passion. Right? Do, what, do what God seems to have blessed you with doing. Go do that. Live within your means. Spend less than you make. And capitalize appropriately. And you solve for the problem that so many people will find themselves in, in this generation, and the one after, and the one after that. Listen, I'm in a hurry. It, it oh, takes yeah. time to accumulate capital, especially in a whole life policy. There, I'm in a hurry. There it is again. See, <laughs> we're, we're in a, where you have a tremendous need for capital. So the need for capital is intense. And so our, our present demand is, is, so, uh, is so urgent, is so intense, that's why we're attracted to the clickbait style uh, titles on these videos in the first place. It, it sounds to me like you've been watching too many podcasts. Look, but hey, <laughs> let's go. Let, let's go hire a squad of these internet ninjas uh, SEO tool things, right? Yeah. And Google just changed their algorithm, right? So we got to go rehire them again. How convenient, right? <laughs> There's just another expense. Let's hire someone to do the SEO and, and, and pay them a lot of money. Uh, you get to <laughs> make sure you have a click funnel. You know, the whole, there's a whole marketing philosophy. In other words, oh that's, that's built upon this, this particular niche business that only exists because people don't have access <clears throat> to their own capital. Yeah. But they don't, people don't even think in those terms. Yep. So why would they ever know there's a problem? I, I know if I was going to do SEO, if I was going to get into that business, I would charge really high fees and then outsource it to, you know, Pakistan or India. Which is what they do. <laughs> 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 because it's a black box and it's esoteric and you don't know and you don't understand, which that is uh, really pervasive in any industry that's that takes uh, a fair amount of knowledge to understand mm -hmm. in the infinite banking world or life insurance or finance in general falls right into that it's like oh i'm going to abdicate my responsibility to you mr straw man strong man you know the guru yeah i don't i don't i don't want to i don't want to know oh you're so smart or you know and especially if you're uh you know confident the strong man is confident in whatever oh, yeah. pervade you know then it's like oh i'm assuming that he's very knowledgeable because he's so confident and i, I don't really i'm not really interested in it anyway numbers mm -hmm. and finance so i'll just abdicate my review you just tell me what to do oh, right that's so um, it's so part dangerous. of the constructs part of the paradigm and so what why does ibc matter it's access to capital right and your yeah. need for capital is not going to diminish it's not going to go down it's not going to go away it's just going to change, increase, probably more than likely increase. Wait a minute. Oh, it has to almost increase if you're going to uh, stay up with, much less overcome the headwinds of taxation and inflation. Yeah, it ain't going to get any better out there. Oh, my gosh. And then look at the health care system. And I don't want to be too political, but, you know, we're talking about Medicaid spin down, health care earlier. Uh yeah, the, our healthcare system in the North America is great. Those costs are going down. Yeah, right? the, the pressure on normal oh, people who just want to work hard, provide for their family, and serve others is not going to lessen. You know, the, the government involvement. I think we've passed uh, federal budget deficits in the amount of one trillion dollars now here in late 2019. Oh, we like passed that, that earlier in not, the year. I mean, it's not going to go the other way. It, no. So it's only going, point being, it's only going to get worse. The need for capital is only going to intensify. And as the need for capital intensifies, the things out there you see which take advantage of people's intense need for capital will only continue, right? That's why you, you can create a credit environment where you have debt, you, you know, you can rent a, or borrow some borrow money for a car and pay back over the course of five years whereas a few years ago you can only do it for three a few years before that you can only do it for one in 1910 you couldn't do it at all right the reason that conventional debt repayment terms are extending is 
because we don't have that initial capital in the first place. So, so, so a lender who does can use the, the chains of debt to restrict your freedom, to restrict your ability to control future income. That's all, I'm gonna make this point, that's all a, an extended period of debt repayment is. It's a longer term of forfeited future income. If you're paying off a note in year five that you could have had paid off in four years, well then that portion of your income that's being used to pay off the debt in the fifth year, it, that's forfeited cash flow. That's mm -hmm. cash flow you otherwise could have exercised your own control over. Mm -hmm. right? So the, the lengthening of debt repayment terms, the 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 more the greater and greater number of games that companies play, right? Zero percent. Um, auto loan since we're on the subject. Well, the only reason that people can say that is they got creative. They moved the interest charge from where it says interest on the bill to the uh, MSRP, the suggested retail price, right? So that you pay more for the car, but you get your 0% APR or whatever it is. Like the games like that, they, they only originate because people are falling over themselves to compete, to get your attention, to solve your need for capital. Mm-hmm. So if we want to be a part of the solution, right? If we want, if we want to be a part of the end of all of that, well, we got to start at home. Ooh, you got to start with yourself, Ooh. and you don't have to vote. You don't have to go out and support a political candidate. You ain't got to ask anybody's permission, right? You just do it yourself. What? What a concept. I'm going to be an individual. So long answer to a free and independent. Long answer to a short question. That's why. That's why it matters. And yeah, and and, okay. uh, and by the way, we're going to remain the minority. Right? Oh no, question! Uh, more and more people. So, you know, who doesn't want to be the well-capitalized individual among a population of others who have a severe need for capital? Right. That's just supply and demand. If you got something other people are willing to pay for, it wouldn't hurt to be the one to have it. Right? Mm. He who has the gold makes the rules. If the problem is the government's got the gold, the capital, right? They're the ones with the ability to tax a population and provide for all these welfare programs, corporate, foreign, or otherwise, right? If that's the problem, maybe the solution is for you to be the one that has the capital so that you can make the rules. Yeah, but how do I do it? You know, let's get there. How do, how do I do that? I got Riggs all this money. Strategies.com. <laughs> <laughs> I got all these debts. I don't have any money. I don't have any cash flow and jump smooth over. I don't have any discipline. I don't want to do something different. I'm uncomfortable if I have to do something different. Yeah. You just basically have to start where you're at, right? right? With your own cash flows, where you're get at. Get to work. Go make more money. Yeah. Oh, self-improvement. I mean, right. seriously. Invest in something that you know something about. Maybe starting with yourself. Um, that's the other thing too. all these investment games that they play you know you got to go into get into my industry and I tell people I'm, as we mentioned earlier that I'm in finance and they immediately think investing and my first thought nowadays is like what what would make the average person think that someone who happens to be in finance knows what you should be investing in <laughs> who thinks that like how did we ever get to that point like oh Mr. So-and-so we've talked for 45 minutes I'm going to suggest this portfolio of mutual funds for you like what so we just we've we've we take for granted that we should be investing in things about which we know nothing, and that's what's being advised, right? So an alleged expert is suggesting that. You know, I think it, I think to be a proper expert maybe requires a little more humility. You know, if someone said, "Well, what should I be investing?" I have no idea. Oh, like, what are you good at? You yourself. know, what have you done for your whole? What, what's your expertise in? What do you right. know better right. than anybody else? Whatever that is, I don't know what it is, that's what you should be investing in. And before you should invest, you should have a place to put capital, right? It's like, you know, I think of like the villagers in Africa who got to go, they got to walk like five miles to get water. Yeah. And, you know, and then it's, of course, it's a long way. They got to walk a long way. So, you know, you need, you want, you want to have more wells to have greater flow of water. And it's like, well, did anybody ever stop to think, like, do they have a thing at the house to store some water? Maybe if they had a system there at the house to accumulate the water, then this oh, to daily five mile walk wouldn't be so difficult, right? Well, you and know, so focusing on focusing on the five mile journey or focusing on the flow of the stream or all that, yeah, yeah, that's all important. It'd be nice if more water flowed. It'd be nice if you didn't have to walk so far. But what would be really great is if you had a system under your own ownership and control 
that accumulated water for yourself and your own family mm-hmm. so that you wouldn't have to walk anywhere. You wouldn't have to depend upon the, 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 the frequency at which water flows in the stream or that kind of thing, you know? It's like, I, I'd rather have the system. I'd rather be in control. I'd rather be in the ownership position and have it all under my own, you know, not, not care about the rest, not care what the stock market's doing, not care what uh, the, the online keyboard or caps lock key crushing keyboard warrior <laughs> people are saying online. You know, none of it matters. The noise doesn't matter because I'm the one with the gold, so I make the rules. Yeah, I want to be just like you. Well... So I, I just can't like what what what, what should I be investing? I, how how does how does anybody know? And why would you expect somebody to know? Nobody knows you better than you. Maybe your mother or your father. So you might ask them, right? Maybe they're who, who you should be asking about what you should be investing your time and energy in, right? The last person who knows is someone some business major who couldn't get hired anywhere else, and so went to work for one of these captive companies who's got a <laughs> marketing program to sell you. They don't know. And you know they don't know, and they know they don't know. <laughs> well, then who's the sucker at the table? Uh, Everybody knows but you? <laughs> it's the blind leading the blind. And if they were honest about it, they, it's why we get calls from people who have been in the financial industry for oh, decades who want us to design the policy for them. It's like, well, what have you been doing for the last 30 years? They've been doing what the financial world has told them They've to do. Only been, they're only doing what somebody else has, has told them. <clears throat> yep. Just like Nelson used to say, everybody's conception of life insurance is based on somebody else's misconception. No question. So that's why you should care about what you see. All right. I'm getting worked up. I'm warming. Getting. You've been there. <laughs> Whatever. You, you sat down worked up. <laughs> I mean, what, what were you doing? Was it a phone call, a text? I don't even want to know. Oh, it was you, like, you were worked up before you got And hey, you know what? Whatever triggers a passion is good. Yeah. What? You know, so. All right. So why it matters. So what do we do? Uh, so we know access to capital, controlling the banking function. That's why it matters. Right? Um, the need to have concentrated capital. It's <laughs> never talked about. The need okay, to so concentrate what do we do? your capital. And, and, and I know that. I, I might not watch as much, you know, YouTube or uh, podcasts. It's easier. Just don't in. watch the rest of them. Just watch us. and that's. <laughs> <laughs> but I do like the ones that say, oh, we'll never make you read a book. You don't have to read a book. You don't have to read this. You don't. I want their, what I hear or what I read when I read that or hear that is they do not want an educated client. No. That is like, wait a minute. What's wrong with that from the beginning? Okay. And then it's like. Well, I'll leave it at that. I We encourage education. Does that mean you have to go get a PhD? No. Does it mean that you should have some basics going to the source of the infinite banking concept, R. Nelson Nash, Becoming Your Own Banker, his second book, Building Your Warehouse of Wealth? Yes. Yeah. You know The essentials. I, you take an essentialist approach. You want to get right. from the source and you want to know the essentials. Right. And then work with somebody who knows the essentials yeah i mean so all right well what else do you want to add to that passionately what would you like to add to that young mr griggs i think i'm good all right yep i'm all set okay very good well listen thank you for listening i had fun capital does matter your capital matters and you know what the more capital you have the more opportunities appear Mm. Oh, whole we, another. Oh, gosh. Well, we've we've talked started. about it. We're trying to end. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thanks for listening. Have a great day. Bye. Can't wait to talk next time. Thank you for joining us on the Banking with Life podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe. Otherwise, find us wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to join us weekly.